The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. To begin to adjust, just sense if you can the effect of the practice on the heart, on the mind, stability of mind, whatever that might be like for you. Make adjustments. Thanks, Karen. See, uh, we'll come back from our small groups uh, at five to nine tonight because someone is going to share a little bit about how they've been working with Donna here at the center. Is it you, Laura? Oh, great. So we'll remember we'll start our small groups a little bit earlier so that we can come back at five to nine. And it's really great to have different people do that. So if somebody's interested in doing that for the summer Buddhist studies, that would be great. You could just let me know. And we'll find a time during that course on Anapanasati. I think Gabe has it up for registration, but if not, we will soon. It starts a little bit later in the summer because in June, a lot of you know we have our twice-annual community practice intensive. I'll be teaching out in the West Coast, so when I come back, it starts a little bit later than usual, The first, uh, not the first week in June, but the second week in June on that Monday night. I forget, maybe like the 11th or 10th of June, whatever that Monday is, and ends on the 28th, that Thursday. So it's about 17 days. The day long won't be on Thursday. It will be on um, Saturday the 23rd. So we're going to have the day long in the middle of the practice intensive, a little different than we've done before. But it's really great for those of you who haven't done it. And uh, you'll see on the, I think both under the bulletin board and on the table in the lobby, there's a little description and it can seem intimidating, but everyone, you know, it's sort of a high bar as the whole thing is described, the community practice intensive. But it's really for everybody to adapt and adjust it, given your home schedule with kids, your work schedule, and other obligations you can't change. Because we really want the community to just explore the karma of practicing, right? Karma just means intentional action and that have consequences. So if you apply yourself a little bit more or a lot more to just things like formal meditation practice, a little bit more intentional study, a little bit more group activity or mindfulness in daily life, then what's the actual effect on our heart and mind as we go forward? Right? And to kind of learn from each other and that's really what we do on the Monday, the three Monday nights during the community practice intensive. Um, we have circle time where everyone, not everyone, but enough people during that time to share like that cause and effect. Like, given that I'm a, putting a little bit more into my practice, this is what I'm noticing, or this is what I'm noticing that's in the way of putting a little bit more energy into my practice. It's a nice way to also connect with more community members. So consider doing that. That will be June. And then we'll start in early July the next um, Buddhist studies class on the Buddha's talk on mindfulness of breathing. So a little bit more of a concentration orientation than sometimes we do here. But the thing about the mindfulness of breathing instructions, as uh, one of my teachers, Venerable Analio, this German monk, says, it's not an easy practice, right? A lot of times people think mindfulness of breathing 
is sort of the beginner's practice. But actually, it kind of presumes you're able to put down the hindrances to some degree to begin to work with the 16 instructions the Buddha gives for mindfulness of breathing. Anyway, that's what we'll dig into this summer. And we have lots of great resources for that. So, second week of Samadhi. And I thought I'd uh, both take a little time for group comments um, before we break into small groups. But also just review more specifically the five, what are called the five jhanic factors. And I sent a handout, hopefully everybody got it, this afternoon, just a little cheat sheet on these important qualities. They're really useful for helping us understand this very natural process of unification. So ordinary mind, you probably have noticed when you look, it's dissipated, scattered, it's distracted, it's not so strong, it's weak, the attention is weak, meaning not so clear, not so penetrating, seeing things more on a surface level. And when we say the mind is superficial, for example, well, it, it, it has a very particular meaning. Something like the mind is pretty dependent on the perception. So when I look at Kevin over there, when the samadhi, when the stability of mind is strong, then that mind, the strength of that mind, the unification of that mind or collectedness of that mind, it knows because it can connect with the present moment, it knows when the perception, oh, that's Kevin, right? That perception is like that concept, that label, oh, yeah, that's Kevin, right? It knows that's being known. So it, it knows the difference between just seeing the visual form and the concept and the emotion, you know, love <laughs> or whatever I feel, <laughs> you know? It knows the difference because it's stable. It's not entangled in the, the process of knowing. And precisely because the awareness isn't entangled, right? There's a kind of disentangled, non-attached presence that then that more mirror-like presence then can see each aspect, each angle on the present moment as just something being known. That's the whole point of the stability of awareness, what we call samadhi. I think, I don't know if uh, Gabe or Shelley or Ramesh uh, mentioned last Monday, but there's a nice simile in the tradition of the honed and heavy axe. Did they mention that? It's a nice image for the purposefulness or functionality of samadhi. Because we need both the sharpness of wisdom, like in any moment of our life, ideally, we'd have that very sharp mind that isn't confused by what's arising. But we, that kind of capacity to really understand deeply what's happening in the moment also takes stability, the weight that an axe has. An axe is sharp, and heavy, and when it's both sharp and heavy, it can do the work that an axe is meant to do. But if it's just sharp, you've got a razor blade, you're not going to be able to cut down a tree, right? Or if you just have samadhi, a lot of stability, but no wisdom, you're like a sledgehammer. 
you're not going to cut down a tree. But when your mind is both wise, and generally we get wisdom initially from borrowing it from a wise person. And they say, you know what? Everything's a natural process. Or not self. It's just a natural process. Or everything's changing. Or when you, when you cling, it hurts. When you take things personally, you'll feel this energetic contraction. And life will become weightful. Right? So we get these instructions. And then when we combine those instructions with a mind that's really stable or unified, really continuously present in that stable way, and I've got these wisdom instructions, <coughs> notice that everything's changing. Notice that it's an impersonal, natural process, not self. Notice whenever there's clinging, there's tension. When there's no clinging, there's freedom. You know, these kinds of <coughs> pointing, out, pointing out instructions then that mind is going to develop wisdom. That mind's going to be transformed because of the combination of samadhi and good pointing out instructions. And then eventually it's not the pointing out instructions, it's the mind's own interests, right? Because the, the mind already has some momentum where it's had stability and it's had pointing out instructions and then it came to understand more deeply the way it is. You know, we say in Buddhism, Dharma or Dhamma, the way it is. And then the pointing out instructions is our sort of following the thread of the mind, or you could say wisdom's interest in deepening its understanding of what it's already beginning to intuit, beginning to understand, that it's not the way that I think it is. It's the way it actually is, right? Like the Buddha says, no matter how the mind conceives it, it will always be otherwise. So then the mind isn't dependent on the idea that things are impermanent or things are a natural process, not self, or when there's clinging, there's suffering, right? Because it's a, that's a launching off point for the insight. And once the mind starts having a sense of the insight, it's just, that's just a, like a, a placeholder, those deep teachings, right? No matter how sublime the teaching is as a concept, as a, you know, something that's been, you can verbalize or articulate, that's not the insight. That's just a placeholder for the insight. Just like love, you know, and even the mental images we have of love. And even the emotional feeling of love is not quite what love is, right? Love is the experience, the clear, undeniable, unshakable, direct experience of realizing the mind or the heart with no ill will. No boundaries that ill will creates. So that all-inclusive, everything belonging. But not the ideas, not those words, right? That experience, not dependent on having those words, having or not having those words, right? Those words are just used as a placeholder or when we're talking with each other and we're sharing an experience and can sometimes create a bridge between my experience and something, some experience you've had that's somewhat similar, right? And that's what we mean by insight. Insight's never dependent on words. 
we say sometimes in this world of Buddha Dharma that some people, you know, can articulate their insights and some people can't articulate their insights. But the freedom is the same, whether you can talk about what's happening to your heart as you practice or whether you can't talk about your practice in a way that anybody that's helpful to anybody else or even that people understand. You don't need to be able to articulate your practice to do this practice and to gain the results, the freedom that comes with it. So the handout I sent out, just to go through it before we break into small groups, um, and it's really useful, and I would this week, before we go into wisdom next week, um, really play with this. And you can just study it so you're, it's, you're pretty fluent in your mind to bring up these five jhanic factors, jhana, you might know it's just a word that's used in the tradition when the mind is not afflicted by the hindrances. So it's not under the spell of wanting, not under the spell of ill will, aversion, any kind of aversion, including fear, not um, overwhelmed or disturbed by too much energy, like restlessness and worry, or too little energy, like sleepiness or dullness, heaviness of, a mind, of the mind and not distorted by doubt, you know, that sort of circular doubt. Right? So when the hindrances are far in the distance or abandoned, that mind, we say, then is stable precisely because it's not being afflicted by the hindrances, that awareness is stable and somewhat continuous, right? And then to start to notice these five things, and they're somewhat progressive, in the sense that the earlier states of concentration or stability of mind will be characterized by the first two qualities, really seeing how the, that part of the mind that knows, like maybe call it attention, how it like connects. It's a, sort of an energetic part of the mind that like the knowing is sort of, you can almost think of it as a, like a real visceral touching, that awareness, like making contact, you know, Mark's voice is being heard, you know, that particular tone or pitch. The knowing mind is like, yeah, got it, know it, right? And, you know, there are many, many of these, and fortunately we don't have to catch each moment of contact. But we need to catch some of them because it stabilizes the mind, right? It's, it's creating an alternative to being lost in thought to start to notice the connecting. Vitaka is the Pali word for those who like to hear the Pali. And then vichara is the sustaining, the not forgetting, right? So one moment of recognizing the mind is connecting. Now remember, you're not connecting with the object. That's just the nature of awareness to connect with object. The question is, can we notice that particular nature of the mind that connects with objects? And like I said, don't get neurotic about needing to connect with each object, right? Just notice that that natural process of awareness, part of that is the mind connecting. So you can think of this first one we talk as like a staccato sort of thing. And when you notice this piece of the mind, this uh, particular dynamic quality of awareness, 
it removes sloth and torpor, the sleepy part of the mind. Because you're noticing the energetic. This is an energetic part of the mind that's connecting. I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere because it's all happening in the mind. But it has this sort of thing of landing on objects. Gotcha. Know ya. Know ya. Like that. And when you're really here, it's kind of rough. This level of awareness, like when, when the connecting, the wataka part of your wisdom is knowing the wataka part, it won't feel like you're quiet because it's a very active part of samadhi. But it's just the roughest, right? So that's what I meant. This uh, sequence of wataka, wachara, piti is joy, sukha is ease, contentment, that sort of more ease for resonant kind of happiness, inner happiness. And then ikagata is the one-pointedness, the stillness, the peace, right? So energetically, more gross to more refined qualities. Deeper states of concentration or stability of mind are going to be characterized by the qualities at this end of those five. In the more initial states, more energetic states, of concentration will be characterized by the first three qualities. A lot of joy and a lot of the connecting and sustaining, remembering. You'll notice that. And it will be sort of like, you know, you're cruising. The mind's cruising. It's like in the present moment. It's got some continuity, but it's quite alive. It's not settled necessarily. But you're not losing it. You're not lost in thought. And it's good to notice this because if we have the idea that it's only over here when it's like the sort of stereotypic, very still, very peaceful, then we won't, because it's like noticing this whole progression is what allows the progression to progress. Right? We have to see it as a natural process. And that what drives the natural process is recognizing it. This is generally true for all of the wholesome qualities of mind. So if you want to pass the Buddhist quiz, and the Buddha says, okay, what is the proximate cause for developing wholesome qualities of mind? What's the answer? Recognizing the wholesome qualities of mind is the proximate cause for the development of the wholesome qualities. And it doesn't matter if it's generosity or kindness or calm or the initial connecting, when you notice connecting, it gets strong. And when that's recognized as strong, then sustaining the, the wachara, the sustaining of that, then starts to kick in, easier to notice. And when that's clearly seen and recognized, joy arises. Because if there's a seclusion, the first two, when they get set in motion, the mind starts to get secluded from what? distractedness, right? Because now it's like connecting and sustaining. It doesn't, there's no space in the mind to sort of get lost in thought because it's got something to do. It's connecting and sustaining. It's not forgetting to connect to something in the present moment. So it's not getting lost in thought, which means it's not aware that a thought is just a thought. It's in the bubble that the thoughts create, in the world that the thoughts create. So that's what we mean by lost in thought. We're lost in thought when the mind is unaware this is happening in the present moment. Right? So that's how you know you're lost in thought. 
when the mind is not aware this is something happening in the present moment, which is almost all the time that we've lost that comprehension of or discernment that this is just something being known in the present moment. Right? So connecting uh, helps to tease out the hindrance of sleepiness or dullness and sustaining teases out doubt from the mind because when the mind is connecting and sustaining, there's no doubt because doubt takes being lost in mind. Oh, I've got to figure this out. What, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing it right? Is Steve a better? Or Sorry, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> I saw Steve a moment ago. <laughs> anyway, is Kevin a better meditator than me? Or, you know, like that? Then I forget the mind's forgotten. Wisdom has forgotten that. Oh, that's just a thought being known here and now. So, uh, wachara removes doubt. Sustaining removes doubt. Pity, joy, that lightness, that buoyant quality that arises precisely because the energy is starting to build. Why is the energy starting to build in the mind? Because it's not dissipated, right? Because it's not leaking. It's not getting lost over here, flitting about. It's connecting and remembering to connect, sustaining, right? So that's the remembering to do it moment by moment. So the mind is gathering in that activity of connecting, 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 connecting. It's not doing other things. It's starting to collect and gather. That the, the subjective experience of that is to have a lot of energy. The way our mind is wired, it likes energy. So as a more than anything... We're energy junkies. I mean, just, and it's kind of wired in. It's not like by personality. Every mind likes having energy, brightness, right? Feeling alive. And that's what piti, piti feels like, looks like. It's a mental quality, but it has an energetic, visceral aspect to it. So some people think, no, 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 I feel it in my body. Yeah, it's reflected in the body, absolutely. Even sometimes, powerful waves of energy. Even movements can happen sometimes in practice. When And pity can be all kinds of feelings, from like a rush or like a sort of a shiny, vibrant quality, like you might even notice like it's easy to sit up, not that you're trying to, it just sort of brightens. Even an internal light can arise. Like It feels like someone turned on a light, but it's not like the light externally has changed, but it, it feels like there's an actual inner light in the mind. So all kinds of things can arise in conjunction with that mental experience of joy because it's really a mental quality, but it has these sort of visceral or seemingly external aspects to it sometimes. Right? And it's just the natural experience. The mind not dissipated, not scattered, gathers. There's more energy and it's interpreted as joy. That's what the mind sees it as. Oh, rapture, joy, brightness. Right? So here, just like we don't do the connecting, we don't do the sustaining, we're noticing that the mind connects, we're noticing the not forgetting. Right? This, is, this is really important about building concentration, noticing the capacity of the mind to connect, to sustain. <coughs> Noticing the arising of energy and joy, brightness, and, and feel it, let it permeate every corner of the body and mind. 
So that lightness, that brightness, that aliveness is everywhere you look and feel, right? So you're learning to appreciate each of these three qualities. Because when you see them clearly, you've got to be intimate. When you really see it clearly, really intimate, really letting it in, letting it move, letting it reveal itself, then it's easier to see the more refined, the next quality. So if you're not seeing the next, it's not going to help to want to see the next one. Get more interested in the one that you can see, more relaxed with it, more permission for it to be what it is, to show the mind what it is. And then you'll notice sukha, that's the fourth. Ease, inner happiness, inner contentment, where the joy, the rapture, the piti is more like bright and sometimes even quite wild energy. But I mean, it's pleasant, but it can get a little old too. So, so it's not always seen as pleasant, but it has sort of a general pleasant vibe to it generally, sometimes quite strongly. But the ease definitely is pleasant. Uh, and it's much more settled. Uh, like, I don't need to go anywhere. It's the beginning, like it, it removes, um, where the joy removes the ill will from the mind, right? Because it's like, this is great, lots of energy. You know, ill will comes when we're disappointed or feel betrayed or life's not delivering. But there's a a fullness with the rapture, so there's no need for ill will. And then the the sukha, the next one, the fourth one, the ease, it like, not only is there no ill will, but I don't need to go anywhere. Ah. So what goes away? What hindrance goes away? Restlessness. Not too many left. Restlessness goes away because that quality of ease is like, I'm totally okay being here and now. This is a good place. The body-mind doesn't want to move. You, I mean, literally, it feels like that, like the sitting, we're fine with the sitting. That's one of the characteristics of that fourth jhanic factor, being recognized, being appreciated, being allowed to be what it is. Oh, yeah, lots of ease. Nowhere to go. Great, inner happiness is like this. And you see what all four are doing, we're moving in the direction of extinguishing the primary hindrance, which is craving, wanting, right? Thinking that the moment could be better. Always thinking, like even thinking, I want to hold on to this. So any greed whatsoever is slowly getting quieted down, quieted down, quieted down. So the last characteristic, ikagata, one-pointedness, stillness, quietness, peace, is really characterized by the quieting of wanting. So so it's nice to remember these five jhanic factors in terms of what hindrance they help to remove from the mind. And that's what the handout has. So you have that cheat sheet basically what I've just talked about the last 10 minutes. You have that at home in your email, in an attachment in the email that I sent this afternoon. And then have it out in front where you sit, and then just take a couple of minutes to review it before you sit so that your mind will be fluent enough. 
And then as you sort of settle, give yourself some time, you know, using, you know, whatever you use, open awareness or whole body awareness or more formal mindfulness of breathing or hearing, you know, whatever anchor, open awareness anchor, so everything's your anchor, whatever is predominant in the moment is your anchor or specific anchor, like your breath. But just drop in. Like, so once you feel like you're sort of somewhat settled, then just drop in the mind. So you could, the phrase could be something like, may this mind recognize and learn something about vichara. I don't think I have the poly here, do I? No. So then just use, you know, learn something about this aspect of mind that connects. So you, don't, you're not, you just drop it in, and then just go right back to your practice. So, but when you state that in your mind, just one time, you're just, you're just stating it with real interest, sincerity. Like, yeah, I do want to learn what the Buddha was pointing to when he mapped out the settling process, the movement towards stability of mind with these five factors. And then just see, and when you feel like you've really caught that mind, that part of the mind that connects, you know, then just make the resolve, just drop it into the mind. May this mind recognize and appreciate the sustaining quality of samadhi. The remembering, the not forgetting. So these are the words you could use, sustaining, remembering, not forgetting, something like that. You just drop it in and then just go back to your practice. And notice the resolve will have an effect because the basic teaching of the Buddha is intentions matter, right? Karma. So if we have a sincere intention, it will affect the mind stream going forward. The mind will notice that factor if the intention, the resolve was sincere. And then the same with joy, DT, or rapture you could call it. Brightness of mind, you could call it. So find a word that sort of you relate to, and then ease or contentment or release of the heart, happiness of the heart, you could use for the sukha. And then ikagata, the one pointedness, the stillness, the settledness. It has a flavor of equanimity or peace, non involvement, not pushed around by anything. So real, like, nowhere to go, nothing to do. The mind is settled. So that's why even these funny words like being held in samadhi, grounded. I had a word once I used, or two words, I guess, heart cave. So that is sort of what I would use for it. Because it has a feeling of being really secluded really like removed from sense experience. The mind still hears, sees, thinks, doesn't lose that capacity, but it's not interested in it. It has that flavor of being secluded, like in a heart cave, removed, unafflicted by the sights and sounds and thoughts and physical sensations of the body. The knee still may ache, but it's not attending to the ache in the knee. It's removed its attention from external experience to some degree. And when it's to a very deep degree, we call it jhana. That's what absorption is, is when the mind is removed from sense experience for a while, 
then we say that that mind has dropped into a state of absorption. Until it's no longer in that state of absorption, then it's in a more ordinary state of consciousness. Okay? So play with that this week, and uh, we'll check in uh, with a whole group discussion after the sit next week, and then I'll spend the rest of the evening talking, and hopefully you'll have some comments too about wisdom, the fourth, uh, I'm sorry, the fifth of the five faculties that we've been studying. So, forgotten, five faculties, faith, wise effort, wise energy, good energy, mindfulness, a body and mind, stability of mind that comes from developing these five factors, giving our practice some oomph, some weight, right? And then wisdom gives the mind the sharpness. So the and then that mind has insight, and that builds the faith, more energy, more continuity of present moment of awareness, awareness of the activity of body and mind, more stability of mind because of the continuity. That clarity, that oomph, helps that seeing to go deeper. And then more wisdom, I mean, then more insight and more faith, and like that. So lots of things you could talk about in your small group. Of course, you know, just just your own experience. And I would really talk about it in two places. So your own experience of stability of mind, that umph, that settledness, right? Both in daily life, where have you experienced the sort of unperturbed mind? A mind that's not distorted or pushed around by the hindrances of wanting or ill will, fear, or too much energy, restlessness, too little, or doubt. Where have you experienced that, and what is the characteristic, or what was that mind like? Talk about the functionality of that mind. Or when your mind definitely didn't have samadhi, and how dangerous that mind was. Not so functional, not so helpful. And then also then in your sits, when, talk about, and talk about it as a natural process, like how the mind settled, like, you know, Bring up your memory of your best sit in that regard, you know, and then share with your small group like how did it get there, and then what, you know, and when you couldn't get samadhi, you know, and your mind was useless, pushed around, caught in, always, you know, seeking some, chasing its own tail. I mean, those sorts of things. So that's one thing you might just talk about. Of course, the five fact, uh, the five jhanic factors that I talked about tonight. Any of those that sort of stand out, how you've uh, abandoned the hindrances, sometimes translated as starving the hindrances through not paying attention to your experience in the wrong way, i.e. the way that feeds the hindrance. So by not doing that, you're starving the hindrance, right? not being confused by the hindrance. Um, and then the, another interesting thing, especially for more formal sits when you're dropping in, is like, talking about in your small group how the pleasantness of samadhi, of the calm, gets confusing. You know, we start to take it personally and get excited, and then we lose it. So that's a good thing to share in your small groups, like your own experience of how you learned not to get excited when the mind is settling, because then it can actually settle even more. And when we do get take it personally in one way or another, we lose it. You know, we, we go backwards. Okay? So maybe we have about 40 tonight. So let's maybe do by 13. You want to search on? 
This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.